My name is Erskine Bell, the host of the Black Self-Sabotage Trap podcast. This podcast takes an honest look at why so many Black Americans continue to lag behind all other groups in so many areas. Is this a byproduct of racism? Or is it largely due to the influence of Black culture, Black self-sabotage? Today our show will focus on the Black American identity crisis. Why do we call ourselves Black Americans or African Americans? Why can't we just be Americans? Just who are we? A few weeks ago, I was at UPS to ship some packages. The line was quite long, and when they opened up additional windows, one of the people up front called back, and he said, Ma'am, are you in line? And she said, Yes, I'm in line. I'm right behind this big colored fellow here. Now, he was referring to me, but I couldn't get angry with her because at one time they called us colored people then Negroes, then we took over the naming ourselves, and we call ourselves Black Americans. Then later we changed it to African American, attempting to redefine ourselves, hoping to gain more respect and standing in our society. We spent so much time romanticizing about an African culture that we've never known. This year, makes 403 years since the first slaves arrived in America. They were from different backgrounds. According to Yolanda Pierce, the Dean of Divinity at Howard University, she stated about 20 to 30 percent of the slaves that came over were Muslims. I bet you didn't know that. They could already read and write. Some of the slaves that came over, they knew about Christianity prior to coming to America, but many practiced the traditional African spiritual traditions. They spoke different languages. They were accustomed to eating different types of foods. But after 240 years, they all spoke the same language. They all ate the same food. They all wore the same clothes. The struggles that they had been through, dealing with oppression, living with torture, having their children sold, having a longing for freedom, dealing with disappointments and overcoming difficulties and never giving up. All these factors fashion them into a new, different people. People now with a new culture that was uniquely American. It's time for us to embrace that heritage. We are Americans, full stop, no adjective needed. This is our home, this is our country, and we're here to stay. I know sometimes you get frustrated, and we all agree with Martin Luther King when he said, all we say to America is, be true to what you said on paper. But despite these struggles, This country is as much ours as anyone else. In a debate once, I was told, y'all should just be happy to be here. 
My rebuttal was, no, y'all should be happy that we are here. We have a claim that no other Americans can make. I make the claim that black people, historically, have been the most patriotic of all Americans. I'm not referring to patriotic gestures where you hang flags outside your door on the 4th of July or make political speeches. I'm talking about real patriotism where you have to make sacrifices for your country. Let's go back to the beginning of this nation's history. Let's go back in time to the start of the Revolutionary War. There were three camps. Camp one were the colonies that I'm going to refer to as America. They were good, Bible-believing, God-fearing, honest, and just Christian white people. They thought it was wrong to be taxed by the British without representation, and they were willing to go to war over it. The second camp, those were our ancestors, the slaves, that were owned by the good, Bible-believing, God-fearing, honest, and just Christian white people. They had no rights, no freedom, beaten, children sold, women raped, people worked half to death, you know, typical slave stuff. And then there were the British. They saw America as their colony, and they had to write to tell them what to do. They were the king of slave makers. They had slaves all over the world. But the slaves' outlook on the war was, why should we fight? If the colonies win, we're slaves. If they lose, we're slaves. We just have a different master. So it makes no difference to us. But the British were smart. They made a big announcement. They said, all the slaves that come over and fight with them, that at the end of the war, if they win, they will set them free. When the word got out, about 2,000 Virginia slaves ran away to join the British Army. But the Americans, they were smart too now. They considered what the British did. And they concluded it would not be a good idea to give slaves guns. People that we've abused and mistreated, you don't give those people guns. So on November the 12th, 1775, George Washington stated in his order, he said, neither Negroes, boys unable to bear arms, nor old people can enlist in the Continental Army. He also went on to call the British governor, Dunmore. He said of him, he's an arch traitor to the rights of humanity for proposing to free slaves. And they just could not understand why some of the slaves would run away and fight for the British after all that they had done for them. And it was just two days after George Washington had written this order that the British attacked Kemp's Landing off the coast of Virginia with his army 
with black soldiers being apart. The black soldiers, they did not really understand all the rules of war, like you don't shoot the opponent's officers, that you don't shoot people that have surrendered. They were just fearless in their attack, and they were just killing everybody. Perhaps they thought, you sold Pookie. Boom, slash, cut, my boy, where is he? And they ran around killing everybody. And one of the British generals by the name of Henry Clinton organized an all-black regiment, the Black Pioneers. And with this going on, one month later, George Washington had a complete change of heart. He wrote a letter to Colonel Henry Lee III that stated, the success in the war would come to whatever side could arm black men the fastest. Slaves from the northern units were assigned to fight in the southern battles because the South, they still had reservations about giving black people guns. But as the war went on, southern black enslaved men, sometimes they did something called patriot service where their white master would not go to fight, but they would send a black man in his place with the promise that if they won the war, that they would get their freedom. Black soldiers fought with the American troops at some of the biggest battles in the war. They fought with them at Concord, fought with them at Bunker Hill, and at Bunker Hill, one of the black soldiers shot and killed James Abercrombie who was the highest-ranking officer to die at Bunker Hill. America's first all-black unit, the 1st Rhode Island Regiment. In 1778, they fought the Battle of Rhode Island. They successfully held off a group of Germans that were hired by the British, a very elite troop, while the American army escaped the trap that had been set for them. In the end, the Americans won the war. The war is now over. It is typical in this country when soldiers come home from war, it's customary to say, thank you for your service. We owe you a debt of gratitude. But that was not the case for the black soldiers. His reward for fighting in the war was that he could be a slave again like a hunting dog that had been out hunting for its master, is brought back and put in the pen. The black man, after helping win the battle, was put back in chains. I've listened over the years to many scholars tie themselves in knots trying to put a good spin on this. That was the way it was back then. Well, you can't judge a man today by yesterday's standards. Yes, they know that it was wrong, but that's just how they did it. Can you imagine the irony of enslaved black people fighting under the banner that said Declaration of Independence? It took 205 years after the battle for President Ronald Reagan. He signed into law the Black Revolutionary War Patriots Act, where he recognized 
the slaves participant in the American Revolution, 205 years later. Not only did we fight in the Revolutionary War, we also fought in the Civil War. Over 200,000 enslaved men fought in the Civil War. Not only that, blacks also took part in World War I and World War II. They were eager to show their patriotism. They no longer wanted to be treated as second-class citizens, and they thought if they volunteered for the war and went and fought for the country that things would be different. But they found themselves in segregated units, fighting both the enemy and segregation at the same time, fighting for other people to have freedoms that they did not even have themselves. And when World War II was over, black soldiers returned home to the United States facing violent white mobs because they resented seeing black men in uniform, thinking that now this would disturb the social order of Jim Crow. And to add insult to injury, many of the black soldiers were denied the benefits that were guaranteed under the GI Bill. And then in 1950, we participated in the Korean War, the Vietnam War, Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Every time that America has gone to war, black people have always been there. They fought for this country as slaves, as second-class citizens, in segregated troops. No matter what the cost has been, we've always answered the call and served. Not only have we served in wars, but we've done something that nobody else has done for America. Today, many things that you buy are made in China. It's ironic that for many years we complained, saying China used slave labor. Nobody can compete with that, we said. We complained about NAFTA. We're losing our jobs in Mexico. They have cheap labor. People work in sweatshops. They don't pay them anything. It's an unfair competitive advantage. They're making billions off the U.S. Have you heard that before? But let's just turn back the clock a bit. In this country, during the time of slavery, America also had a competitive advantage. According to the Gilder Lerman Institute of American History, this is what they wrote about the contribution that slaves made to America. In the pre-Civil War United States, one crop, slave-grown cotton, provided over half of all U.S. export earnings. By 1840, the South grew 60% of the world's cotton and provided some 70% of the cotton consumed by the British textile industry. Thus, slavery paid for a substantial share of the capital, iron, and manufactured goods that laid the basis for American economic growth. 
In addition, precisely because the South specialized in cotton production, the North developed a variety of businesses that provided services for the slave South, including textile factories, a meat processing industry, insurance companies, shippers, and cotton brokers. This is what America gained standing on the backs of our ancestors. So, what did the slaves get out of it? Surely, after 200 years of free labor, generating billions of dollars for this country, suffering untold emotional abuses, you would have thought that Bible-believing, God-fearing, honest Christian people would have compensated the slaves in some way. They would have given them a nice fat check, maybe a nice piece of land, or maybe a hearty handshake to say thank you for your service. America gave them nothing. No land, no money, absolutely nothing to get started with. While at the same time, the government was giving away millions of acres of land out west to European immigrants, whose only requirement was to go to Ellis Island, wait in line, and sign their name, make a pledge, go out west, and get free land to start life. They didn't have to bleed for America. They weren't required to give any years of free service. And yet, America refused to give the former slaves who had worked for 240 years and their labor benefited this country any kind of economic base. As a matter of fact, when considering the Emancipation Proclamation, Lincoln explored ways possibly to ship them out of the country, send them back to Africa. And I know reparations is a bad word when used in the context of slaves getting compensated. But guess who did receive reparations? The government, United States of America, compensated the slave owners for giving up their property. So let's stop making up names for ourselves. Don't think of yourself as a colored American, a Negro American, a black American, or an African American. Simply, we are Americans. Since the country's inception, we fought in all of her wars, bled and died for country, for flag, and her people. Our sacrifice and humiliation helped put America on its sound financial footing. Now it's time for us to do our part. It's an insult to our forefathers to suggest that our current struggles are anywhere near what they had to go through. Our ancestors were not weak people that crumbled under pressure. They were brave warriors who were willing to endure great struggles 
for us to be able to have the rights and privileges that we enjoy today as American citizens. So stop telling yourself that you are a victim. Our ancestors were hard people that could not be broken. They created this land of opportunity for us. And it's time that we start appreciating that fact. Remember, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. Memo to black men. Our communities have fallen on hard times because we have been weak. In the past, black men and women who excel did not waste time whining and complaining about their societal maltreatment. Rather, they plowed through disadvantages and overcame what seemed to be insurmountable odds to become the legendary figures that we look up to today. Thanks for tuning in today. Remember, we are the masters of our own destinies. If you enjoyed the episode today and would like to be made aware when new episodes are posted, please subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Or you can visit us at BlackSelfSabotageTrap.com. We would love to hear from you. Send us your comments about our show by using the website contact page to send us an email or clicking on the microphone icon to send us a voice message. Cheers. <laughs>